This morning's scripture reading comes from Matthew 5, 1, 2, and 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's pray together. The Heavenly Father, we trust, because your word tells us this, that you are present right now uh, with us by your Spirit. And we come this morning, Lord, uh, very much needing an encounter uh, with you by your Spirit. We ask, Lord, that as we hear these words read, explained, illustrated, Lord, that you would be glorified. And more than that, Lord, that you would uh, be made known in our lives and the lives of those around us. Would we be people who not only hear the word this morning, uh, but obey the word as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who gets ahead in the world? Who gets ahead? Who gets uh, the promotion? Who ends up with, with power? Uh, what kind of people, Christ City, uh, win? Who, who are the winners in this world? Uh, for those of us uh, who have asked that recently, uh, there are no shortage of answers uh, from authors, uh, thought leaders, uh, influencers uh, that they give you uh, on topics like how to get ahead in your relationships, how to get ahead in your career, how to get ahead in your physical uh, fitness. Uh, this past week, I had a chance to watch a, a documentary called uh, Inside Bill's Brain. Maybe, maybe you've seen it. Uh, Decoding uh, Bill Gates. It was this fascinating watch, uh, mostly because, as the title suggests, you, the viewer, have the opportunity to peer inside the head of an innovative uh, billionaire like Bill Gates, uh, to see what he's thinking about. And over the course of this three-part documentary, you get a real sense of how Bill Gates would answer the question, uh, who gets ahead in this world? And, and hopefully this isn't a spoiler, and hopefully... I'm not misrepresenting him, uh, but basically it boils down to three things for Bill Gates. And the first is this, and I think we can agree on this, you have to work hard. If you want to get ahead, you have to work hard. A lot of hours at the office, at home, work hard. The second thing is this, you have to be obsessive and relentless, dare I say aggressive, in your pursuit. So work hard, obsessive, relentless, aggressive, that's all one point. And then thirdly and finally, really simply, uh, you have to be a human computer uh, with a once-in-a-generation IQ. If you have those three things, you will get ahead in this world. It's, it's really simple for Bill Gates. And really, if we were to poll this room right now, everyone here has their opinion. Everyone here will tell you what their secret sauce is for getting ahead. It should not surprise us then that Jesus, in these lists of statements about who is flourishing, who is deeply happy in this world, it should not surprise us then that Jesus throws his hat in the ring as well. That he seeks to answer this question as well. And I think what we'll find is that Jesus' answer to the question, who wins in this world, is holy and entirely unique. Uh, it's an answer he gave us this morning as we read that third beatitude. Do you remember? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And to which we all say... Ah, uh, that's how you get ahead in this world. Uh, you become a, a human doormat, a, a pushover. See, the word meek 
If it means anything at all to you, it might not mean anything at all to you, but if it does mean something to you, likely means something like weak, right? Spineless, coward, uh, timid, uh, something like that. And is that what Jesus is saying this morning? Be a pushover, and that's how you get ahead. Is that what Jesus is saying? That would not be, I, I think we can agree on this, good news to us. And nor do I think that would be good news to the first century listeners of Jesus' sermon. Remember, Jesus is speaking to a people who, like you and, and like me, have a certain set of, of expectations. Right? Expectations of Jesus. Expectations of a Messiah, of a kingdom. Expectations that Jesus and his kingdom, this Messiah, will make their life even just a little bit better. Just a little bit easier. Maybe this time, this time God's people will be the winners. It's been a lot of years of exile and hardship. Maybe we'll be the winners this time. So think about this. If we can put ourselves uh, in the shoes of those first century listeners, maybe so far they've tolerated this morning stuff. And and they've tolerated uh, this poverty of spirit stuff. Like, that's nice. That's fine. That's internal. Like, that's spiritual. Like, okay, I can maybe get on board with that. But, But now Jesus is turning. And he's talking about how we act towards our coworkers. He's talking about how we act towards our family, uh, the the government, uh, the broader world. And where we would expect him to say, where where every thought leader today would say, blessed are the efficient, and blessed are the innovative, and blessed are those who help themselves. They get ahead. They flourish. They're happy. Instead, we find this morning, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. And so for the third week in a row, uh, we come to our beatitude, we, we, we hear the text read, and we are immediately confused. It makes no sense. And so here's how I want to unpack this text for us this morning. First, what does it mean to be meek? What, what, what does it mean to be meek? Really simply. Second, we're going to look at two case studies of meekness. So what does it mean to be meek? Two case studies of meekness. And then thirdly and finally, h- how do we live this out? So really simply, here it is. What does it mean to be meek? Two case studies of meekness, and how do we live this out? First, what does it mean to be meek? It, it seems to me uh, that almost every commentator on the Beatitudes, uh, there is a, a somewhat different definition between them of what it means to be meek. It, it seems that they all can't agree on one single definition of, of meekness. And that's not because, I don't think... Uh, that we cannot know what meekness means. Rather, meekness and being meek manifests itself and presents itself in, in so many different ways depending on the situation you're in. And so at one point, meekness could like me standing in front of another person and confronting them. At another point, meekness could look at me being attacked by somebody else and just taking it on the chin, just receiving it. Meekness manifests itself in, in so many different ways. And so instead of beginning with this definition and working from there, what I want to do is take us to a place in the Bible that I actually believe Jesus is quoting. I think Jesus is actually quoting Psalm 37, verse 11, where it says this, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Hundreds of years before the sermon, David wrote, But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant uh, peace. See, David was writing to a people not unlike us. 
Not unlike you, not unlike me. Not unlike those that Jesus was speaking to. All of us asking the question, who gets ahead in this world? Who wins in this world? It seemed to David's listeners, and maybe it seems like this to you this morning, that the people who get ahead were not only aggressive, not only put themselves first type of people, but to use David's language, they were worse. They were evildoers, wrongdoers. Uh, the wicked. And what we find in Psalm 37, in Psalm 37, is David wrestling with the economy of this world, the way that this world works. It seems to David, and maybe it seems like that to you this morning, that the, the wicked win. That evil seems to have the last laugh. That ruthlessness is the road to success. And if we keep on reading, we find that David is inviting his listeners to see beyond our experience, to see beyond the way things seem. And the astonishing claim of Psalm 37 is that not only will the wicked not get to keep any of their stuff, any of their treasure, any of their quote-unquote success, but actually they will be judged. And not only will the wicked be judged, but as the heart of Psalm 37 just told us, the meek shall inherit the land. This whole psalm acts as a contrast, one big contrast. On one side, you have the wicked, who seem to be winning now, but ultimately will lose out. On the other side, you have the meek, who seem to be losing now, who by every measure, every scale, are losing now. But ultimately, David tells us, they will win out. And what I want to suggest to us this morning is that David and Jesus have the same vision of the meek in mind, that they're envisioning the same person. And because David wrote an entire psalm unpacking who the meek are, it's worthwhile for us to camp out here a bit. And the first thing we'll notice is that unlike the first two Beatitudes, meekness has a fundamental outward orientation. Meekness has a fundamental outward orientation. Where blessed are those who are poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, speak primarily to our relationship to God and ourselves, Blessed are those who are meek. Uh, In that, we now begin to turn and consider how we should relate to God and other people. How should we live as followers of Jesus in relationship to other people? We'd agree that that's an important question, right? It's an important question. And to see this, let's look at the very first thing we see about the meek in Psalm 37. Psalm 37 verse 3 says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Firstly, the meek trust in the Lord and do good. For David's listeners, this trusting the Lord was putting their faith, their hope, in the covenant God of Israel. That despite the wickedness that they see, there's this way of flourishing that goes beyond what we can grasp, that goes beyond the way we can think right now. Indeed, Uh, For David's listeners, the the thought was that they could not truly live or flourish as people outside of the covenant God of Israel. And the same is true for us this morning. Cultivating meekness, meekness, it begins, it starts in this acknowledgement uh, that we cannot rightly relate to God and to others uh, on our own. In in fact, our last two Beatitudes, poverty of spirit and and mourning, have naturally led us to this point, haven't they? 
The meek trust that God has authoritatively revealed the flourishing path to us, including uh, the good deeds that we ought to walk in. But trust is required because, as we know, Jesus' standard of flourishing looks a lot different than ours. His standard of happiness looks quite strange to us. In fact, we'd agree, would it not be so much less stressful, so much easier, so much more blessed to just go with the flow, wouldn't it? I don't know about you, but I would love to just go with the flow sometimes. Wouldn't that be flourishing? Uh, This paradox of flourishing that looks like suffering, of happiness that looks like persecution, uh, is perhaps best illustrated uh, in the story of Corey Ten Boom, uh, who, if you don't know, uh, hid Jews in her home during World War II. If we think about this for a second, in Germany, during World War II, there was a particular vision of human flourishing being implemented uh, by force, right? There's a particular vision of human flourishing. It was a vision of the good life that had no room uh, for handicapped people, uh, gay people, Jewish people, and others. And so these people, they were systematically eliminated because they didn't fit within this vision of human flourishing. So to get ahead, to flourish in Nazi Germany was to agree with this, was to agree uh, with the regime. And to disagree with this was to face suffering, hardship, uh, persecution. But Corrie Ten Boom and others like her refused to agree and acted according to a different set of values, a different way of seeing things. Uh, They actively worked against the efforts of the Nazis and in doing so saved the lives of many. Now, eventually, of course, the Allied forces liberated Germany. And now today, no one, no one this side of history would disagree with what Corrie ten Boom did. We'd all agree and say that she did the right thing. She did the brave thing. She did the heroic thing, obviously. But at the time, in Nazi Germany, in that house as she hid people, it would have seemed strange, odd treasonous even. Why invite this trouble on yourself? Why not go with the flow? Why not just do what we do? Let me suggest to you this morning that that Ten Boom was living in her day in view of a liberation to come, in view of a new way of doing things being implemented around the world, a, a world where her actions would be vindicated, where they would be seen for the rightness of what they are. In the same way, Christ City, the meek trust God here and now, and they show that trust by doing what is right and good to others, regardless of the consequences. Regardless. Choosing to believe that there is a day of liberation coming where all their actions will be seen as being part of this flourishing life all along. Because ultimately, David, in that psalm, will say that the meek are those who delight themselves in the Lord, whose hearts are on the right thing. Look at Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Maybe this is just me, but I think there's this temptation that exists 
uh, when we see the powerful getting ahead, uh, to begin to whine and complain and pout and wallow in self-pity. I am the captain of wallowing in self-pity. I will challenge anyone here. I am very, very, very good at wallowing in my own uh, self-pity. And I think what is happening, all this is doing, is exposing mine and yours, our misplaced loves, our misplaced desires. When we took our affection and pointed it in a direction it shouldn't be pointing. For example, I think this happens in the workplace all the time. All the time. We direct our desire and our love and our hope towards a promotion. A promotion that we believe uh, will accompany with it a bigger salary, a nicer office, more flexible hours. Ultimately, we believe making us more happy, flourishing. Only then, and then alone, will I be flourishing. And then what happens? You know the, you know the script. Someone else gets the job, right? Worse than that. Someone else gets the job and they get it in a sneaky way in an unethical way. And we're upset. If we're honest, we're really, really, really angry. Right? But the meek don't get angry. The meek don't get upset. Because the meek have focused their desires and their love and their affection, indeed their delight, not on a salary or a job, but on a person. On a person who will not disappoint us on a person who is not a moving target, on Jesus. See, this delighting in Jesus, if we keep on going in Psalm 37, uh, makes it easy for the meek to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Uh, look at Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. In view of them being passed over for that promotion, the meek, because the meek are human, they feel the temptation to take things into their own hands, to defend their honor, to snap back at their accuser, to make right how they feel they've been wrong. The meek feel this temptation and they resist it. One pastor said this week, meekness is power under control. See, there's so much in Psalm 37, but Daryl Johnson, local pastor, scholar, summarizes the meek like this. The meek trust in the Lord, do good in the face of evil, cultivate faithfulness, delight themselves in the Lord, rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. The weak also don't do things. The meek do not fret because of evildoers. They do not envy. They cease from anger and forsake wrath and depart from evil. All this leads Johnson to conclude that the meek are in fact the invincible meek. The invincible meek. They're invincible precisely because they could not care less about the question, who gets ahead in this world? The meek aren't asking that question. They're not consumed with that question. What makes the meek the meek is that they're asking an entirely different question. The question is this. It's not who gets ahead in the world, but... How is it, how is it that I already have everything? That is the question the meek are asking. How did it come to pass 
that I already have everything, both in this life and in the life to come. Let me explain. If you're a follower of Jesus today, if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus today, uh, do you know how it came to be that you have everything this morning? Do you know how you came to be rich this morning? I'll give you a hint. It, it is not because you worked hard enough. It's not. I'll give you another one. It is not because we were obsessive, relentless, and aggressive in our getting ahead. Let me give you another hint. Last one. It is not because you're a supercomputer with a once-in-a-generation IQ. The meek inherit the earth. Indeed, the meek inherit all things because the meek, hear me, Christ City, are united to the person of Jesus or one with Christ. Maybe you came this morning and you thought, being a Christian means being saved from my sins. That is one blessing of being a Christian. But the chief blessing of being a follower of Jesus is actually not salvation. And it's actually not being united to one another as a church. And it's not even actually all about the future. The the chief blessing of following Jesus, what's at the core of being a Christian, is that we have become one with the second person of the Trinity. That we are one with Jesus, united to him. And from that union, from that place of being united to Jesus, our salvation comes. From that place of being united to Jesus, our, our union together comes as the church. From that place of being united with Jesus, our future hope is secure because we are in Jesus. Christ City. We we see this so clearly in Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. If you have a Bible, and if you need a Bible, take one at the back. That's our gift to you. But if you have a Bible, and search for that little phrase, in him, in the New Testament, what you'll find is that the Apostle Paul loves this phrase, in him. The Apostle Paul loves to talk about us as Christians united to Christ. We are in him. And in Ephesians 1, we have this beautiful one big long sentence in the Greek where Paul is basically worshiping and praising God and praising Jesus. And he's saying at the core of that is our union with Christ, is our union with him. Listen to Ephesians 1, 11 to 14. The Apostle Paul is talking about how our inheritance, which was first only for the Jews, has now become ours as Gentiles in Christ. Listen to what he says. In him, Ephesians 1, 11 to 14, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, that's me and you, that's me and you, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Listen, Christ City who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Our beatitude this morning reminds us that our future inheritance should not be confused with like a Philadelphia cream cheese commercial. You know what I'm talking about? That's kind of a dated reference, so maybe you don't. We don't have commercials anymore. We have Netflix. But you remember those Philadelphia cream cheese commercials with like clouds and harps. It's like this really boring vision of heaven, right? Where we're just like singing like in the choir all the time. And I don't even like to be in the choir, right? I'm not allowed to be on the worship team. Ask Joel. I'm not allowed, right? 
It's this really boring vision of heaven where we're just in the clouds all the time and it's immaterial and ethereal and there's nothing to do. Our beatitude reminds us this morning, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the meek. Why are they blessed? Ultimately, why are we happy? Why are we flourishing? Why? For they shall inherit the earth. See, Jesus' first listeners uh, would have only thought in terms of, of a little patch in the Middle East. A little patch. But the word that Jesus uses here is better understood to represent something bigger, much bigger. Indeed, the entire world. All of it. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, here's the promise of this beatitude. We will inherit a physical, made new heavens and earth at the return of Jesus. A new heavens and new earth, a redeemed heaven and redeemed earth where we will reign with him. And here lies all the blessedness of this third beatitude. Though the meek don't get ahead now, they will get ahead in every sense of the word when Jesus returns and makes all things new. All this, all this leads me to define the meek like this. This is how we're going to define the meek this morning. The meek are so confident in who they are and what they have in Jesus that they don't need to fight and scrap and scramble for power and worth in this life. The meek are so confident in who they are and what they have in Jesus that they don't need to fight and scrap and scramble for power and worth in this life. And if this is still not clear... Uh, let me give you two case studies of meekness in the Bible to help illustrate this. Interesting. Only two people in the entire Bible are called meek. Only two people in the entire Bible are called meek. Uh, the Apostle Paul aspires to meekness, wants to be meek, but he's never actually called meek. Uh, the first person who's called meek in the Bible uh, is the man Moses. Moses, of course, this legendary figure uh, in the history of God's people. In Numbers 12, verse 3, we read this. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. Moses was the meekest guy alive. Right? Apparently, there had been some sort of contest. He had won, and he was the meekest guy. Moses, this leader of the Israelites, in the context of Numbers 12, was actually just finished being called out by his own family, by, by Miriam and, and Aaron. And this wasn't like a private like, side meeting call out where like, hey Moses, come over here, like, let's talk about some things you can improve upon. This was like, like a public call out in front of all the people, in front of everybody there, from his family, from Miriam, from Aaron. In Moses' day, and, and the honor and shame culture that he lived in, uh, this would have been very, very, very bad, right? Like for, it is one thing for me and you to be called out like at work, right? We can deal with it. Gonna brush it off, you know, go on with her day. It's one thing for a spouse to call out another in front of the kids. In Moses' day, this is doubly bad, doubly worse. Moses is called out, and what does he say in response? How does Moses assert his leadership? What will he do? Which tool will he use to get ahead? Well, Moses, we're told in Numbers 12, verse 3, Sorry, Numbers 12, verse 2, right before that. We're told that he's silent. He's silent. The Bible records Moses saying nothing. 
And the question we've been dancing around all morning is why? What, why would Moses say nothing? Doesn't that sound like bad leadership? How will they know that Moses is in charge, Moses? Speak up, right? Time to assert your authority. Moses says nothing. Listen to the verse right before Moses is described as being meek. Numbers 12, verse 2. And they, that's Miriam and Aaron, they said, has the, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Right? Has he not spoken through us also? And look what it says. And the Lord heard it. David described the meek in Psalm 37 as, first, trusting the Lord. Here Moses is trusting that the Lord heard what was being said about him. The Lord heard uh, the slander in front of all the people that was being pronounced over him. Christ said, can I ask you really simply? Do you know this morning that the Lord hears? And that the Lord sees? And as we just saw last week, that the Lord grieves all the injustice we encounter in this life. All the insults and slander and attack that will ever come against us in this life. Numbers 12 verse 2 says, And the Lord heard it. And do you know this morning that the Lord hears? And do you know this morning that he will act? You know, sometimes he acts in this life. Acting in this life meant for Miriam a case of leprosy. Right? Talk about instant revenge. But sometimes it means he'll act in eternity. In fact, he will act in eternity. Do you know, Christ City, that he will vindicate you in the kingdom to come? That, that's our first case study with Moses. The other person to be called meek in the Bible, it shouldn't be a surprise to you, is Jesus. And perhaps the meekness of Jesus is best seen, most clearly seen when contrasted uh, with the overt power of Pontius Pilate. Now, now Pontius Pilate uh, was the picture of power in Jesus' day. Uh, Pilate had killed many Jews, just like Jesus, uh, before him. And he ruled his corner of the globe. And, and really, ancient historians are very clear about this. Pilate ruled his corner of the globe with an iron fist. Like, he was ruthless. If you got in his way, you were a peg to be knocked down, to be rolled over and destroyed. The formula for getting ahead for Pilate was a brutal one. Kill everybody. It's really simple. You have an enemy? Kill him. Don't have an enemy anymore, right? And yet, when Jesus stands before Pilate on these trumped-up charges of insurrection, Jesus refuses to play Pilate's game, right? He does not answer Pilate in kind. He does not match power with power, army with army, does not return accusation for accusation. Seeing Jesus before Pilate and before the crowds will lead the Apostle Peter to pen these words. When he was reviled, that's Jesus. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued what? Entrusting himself. Entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. Again, don't miss the lesson from this case study. Moses trusted that God heard what Miriam, what Aaron were saying. In the same way 
Jesus trusted that God is the one who will judge justly. He trusts starts, and the trust cannot exist if our picture of God is a petty one, a small one, and an unloving one. If we think God just to be another minor deity in a pantheon of deities, then why would we ever put our trust in him? But if this morning you could wrap your head around an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful heavenly father, the same God who joined you to his son, we'll find that we'll discover this foundation for meekness. I have three sons, and if I were to give two of my sons a cookie and say, you can have this cookie now, and say to my third son, if you wait, if you wait, I can give you a cookie uh, later. You just have to trust me. Uh, that third son, he has two courses of action to take, doesn't he? Uh, he can steal, threaten, uh, beat up his other brothers and take their cookies, forfeiting his cookie later. Or when his brothers rub it in his face, which they do, that they've got a cookie and he doesn't. He can choose to continue entrusting himself to the promise of his good father, to the promise of his good dad who will make good on what he has said. See, none of this makes sense if your view of God is not a good and loving heavenly father. None of this. See, I think meekness, rightly understood, this is our third point, changes everything about how we live now. Let me show you. First, we remind ourselves that, like all these Beatitudes in Matthew 5, meekness is not something that we grab hold of. Rather, meekness grabs hold of us. Meekness is not something that we grab hold of. Rather, meekness grabs hold of us. In Galatians 5, we find one of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness or, or meekness. One of the fruit of abiding in Christ, trusting in Christ, is seeing this produced in our life. As we abide in Jesus, we take on and grow in the very character of Jesus himself. So that you and I, as unlikely as it seems, especially if you know me, so that you and I begin to image Jesus, show Jesus. Later in Matthew's gospel, Jesus instructs his disciples how? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We, we live out meekness by first resting and trusting in Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, you would be uh, misdirected to leave this morning and be like, okay, I just got to, you know, be more meek and try really hard at being meek. And I'll promise you this, if you haven't already tried, what awaits you is frustration and banging your head against the desk and wondering what's wrong with this world and what's wrong with me. No, meekness begins firstly by resting and trusting in Jesus. And trusting that in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, meekness can indeed become a part of who we are, can be born in us by the Spirit. Christians, resting in the Bible is not passive. It's never passive. Resting in the Bible is actively taking all of our desires, our thoughts, and giving them to Jesus. Taking those things that we do and we think 
and bringing them under his lordship, his kingship, his rule, his reign. And as we do this, we find that it is a great joy and there is great freedom in living out this meekness in Christ's city. Let me just paint a picture for you. If you want to close your eyes, you can. But if you don't have to, maybe that's weird to you. What would it look like? What would it feel like to be freed from the power dynamics of your office? What would it look like? What would it feel like to be freed this morning, today, from the anxiety of getting ahead, of moving up, receiving approval? What would it look like and feel like to see other people not as a threat to us, as enemies to be squashed like Pontius Pilate did, but as people to be championed and celebrated as we seek their well-being instead of our own. To be meek is to be free to act and live and think no longer according to the question, how do I get ahead in this world? In meekness, Christ City, the good news this morning is that you are freed from the question, how do I get ahead in this world? With all the anxiety and fear that that question inevitably brings, But meekness is seen as we walk in growing confidence and joy as we ask, how is it that I already have everything? How did it come to be that this morning, on October 6, 2019, in Vancouver, I am rich? I am rich. To which we answer, only in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and soon return of Jesus, do you and I have all things now and forever? The meek are so confident in who they are and what they have in Jesus that they don't need to fight and scrap and scramble for power and worth in this life. And so blessed are the meek, for they and they alone shall inherit the earth. Would you stand with me as we respond at this time? Thanks for listening. For more information about Christ City Church in Vancouver, please visit ChristCityChurch.ca. We invite you to join us in praying that God's kingdom would come in Vancouver as it is in heaven.